Amen. Well, if you uh, have your Bibles, um, that's great. Uh, you can try to follow along with us. Uh, we're going to be reading a lot of different scriptures. This is something I've never done before. I don't know if you've ever done this. Uh, we call it tag team uh, preaching. And so he's on the ropes right now. I'm going to go tag him here in a minute. But uh, yeah, don't really know what he's going to say. He probably doesn't know what I'm going to say, but God knows. So hopefully this will be awesome. It's Easter. Isn't that awesome? It's Easter, so I don't want to go down any rabbit trails. That was good. That was a joke. Some people are definitely not smiling at that joke. All right. Let's hop to it. Those of you that don't know, I'm Michael. I'm at the Alpine Chapel. I've been here for a year. And uh, so this is just a blessing to be able to do this with you, brother. Thank you for having a heart. I have asked other pastors over, I've been in, this is my 30th year doing ministry. I have asked many other pastors to do a joint service on Easter, and all of them said no. They would not do it. Um, and uh, this guy, as soon as I said it, was drooling. And uh, no, I'm kidding. But he was like, yes, of course, you know. And because listen, here's the deal. We do not compete. We complete. And uh, we really believe that. So, uh, amen. Amen. So, uh, thank you for the worship team. Uh, your daughter can sing, man. Wow. That was good. And my son does pretty good, too. All right. Hey, we're going to get into it here. We, we live, I believe we live in very interesting times uh, in our culture. And just living here in Telluride for a year has really... Um, uh, expanded this belief in my heart that we just live in very interesting times where everybody has an opportunity to share their opinions with everybody. With the invention of the internet, obviously, uh, with everybody has a blog these days, uh, you can write anything you want and put it out there and, uh, and make your opinions known uh, to the world. And let me tell you, there are people that have really, really strong opinions. And people have really strong uh, set of beliefs. And here's what I have found, that everybody that wants to chuck their belief system out there, all of us, me included, believe we're right. Like we all think that we have the truth. And we live in this culture where a lot of people are like, Man, just whatever's true for you, dude, that's fine. Just believe whatever you want as long as you dig it and that's fine. And here we are as Christians and we're like, wait a minute. We believe that there is one truth and there is one way to know the Father. And then we can be called bigoted. We can be called, you know, like we're uh, just some type of a huge group of jerks who, who leave everyone else on the outside. Does that make sense? Because everybody thinks they have the truth. And, and everybody is saying something different and yet they're calling it the truth. I like uh, TV and uh, sometimes and uh, I watch these shows. They call them reality television shows. And they're not reality. Like, I just read the other day, Pawn Stars. Do you guys ever watch Pawn Stars? Well, you're Christians. You probably haven't. But Pawn Stars, I just found out the show is totally scripted. And they call it reality TV. That, would have, that made me mad. And then, then there's another show called Storage Wars. And Storage Wars is about this group, in these, this small group of people in Southern California, and they buy these storage lockers. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Okay, thank you. They buy these storage lockers, and hopefully they find something worth money in there, and then, you know, they make money. 
And then I heard where one of the guys on the show, who I don't like at all, his name's Dave, he quit the show recently because he found out that the producers were putting things, they were buying the lockers ahead of time and putting treasures in the lockers to uh, increase the ratings. And I'm thinking, this is reality TV. Like, it's getting harder and harder to recognize the truth where we're at. And everybody, especially when it comes to religion, like, it's nothing today for somebody to have parents that are Catholic and yet they themselves are Scientologists and their neighbors are Buddhists and their best friends are atheists. It's like everybody just sort of has their own different brand. And yet here we are as a bunch of weird Jesus lovers on Easter. Like this is an Easter service and we're basically saying we believe we have the truth and everything hinges on this day. Like, it's all about Easter. Amen? Like, if this is the day. Like, this is the day that we, like, if we had a Super Bowl, it would be today. It's Easter. We believe this stuff. This is crazy. Like, we believe God became a man and lived on this planet and lived this perfect life and then went to the cross, innocent, went and was murdered And then three days later, he came back to life. Are you kidding me? We believe this? Yes! We believe it, man. And then he went up to the right hand of the Father, and he sent his spirit, and now his spirit can live in us and show us how to have relationship with the creator of the universe. This is is outlandish. This is completely wackadoo to the world. The Bible says that, right? Like the way of the cross is foolishness to them that don't believe. But to those of us that believe, man, it is the power of God unto salvation. Like we love this. And so it's all about today. And if you're not excited, you need to get excited, man. I mean, Jesus came out of a stinking tomb. This doesn't happen all the time. Like there's this one guy who was a Jesus follower named Paul, right? We call him the Apostle Paul. And Paul was radical, man. This guy lived his life in such a radical way. He totally stood out different than everybody else. And he said what is sort of our theme today. It's on the front of your bulletin. And it's found in 1 Corinthians 15, 14, and 17. But basically, here's my translation. He said this. If Jesus didn't come out of the tomb, then our proclamation, like the stuff that we're saying, is a joke. Like, it's in vain, he says. Like, why would we even be here? If he didn't come out of the tomb, like literally, you're still in your sins. This whole thing is a joke. It all hinges on Christ coming back to life. It is the whole thing. Jesus dying and coming back. Many other people throughout history have had folks love them and have had even amassed uh, followers to follow them in their teaching. And many other people have taught really good groovy things. But one thing that separates our God from all of these other teachers is that Jesus came back to life like none of those guys did. Jesus was uniquely raised from the dead. And by the way, that was something he told everybody he would do. Like he was doing all this radical stuff, teaching things that was blowing people's faces off. They'd never heard this before. And then he says, they're like, hey, man, show us a sign. Like, prove if you really think you're the Messiah, if you're the one we've been waiting for, if you're the son of God, prove it. And Jesus said, you know what, listen, I've already done a bunch of stuff to prove it. But regardless of all that, I'll give you one sign, man. One thing I'm going to do, I'm going to come back to life in three days. 
Like, you know the story of Jonah and how he was in the belly of a fish for three days? Just like that. I'm going to be in the belly of the earth for three days. You're going to see it. He said it was going to happen, and then it happened. Like, it came true. Like, people, when he said that, they're like, this dude is nuts. Like, there was many times when he was talking, masses of people would just get up and leave and say, this is hard, man. This is, I can't handle this teaching. Jesus said it, and then it happened, and he proved who he is. And let me tell you, and I'm going to share a little bit later, and I know Pastor Ketrick is going to share. There's, we have proofs, and we have evidences of why we believe this whacked-out, weird, fantastical story that Jesus came back to life. I, I could talk with you about that and try to prove it to you. But the truth of the matter is, the best proof I could give to anybody, and there's a lot, but the best one that I could give to anybody is the power that he has to transform a life. Like, like there's an old song, when I was a kid, we used to sing in church, and it went something like this, forgive my voice, but it went something like this, you ask me how, I know he lives, he lives within my heart. You ever heard that? I love that. Listen, you ask me how I know he lives? I don't know how to prove it to you. He lives in my heart. That's how I can prove it to you. He's in me. He changed me. Like, I used to be a bad dude. Like, it wasn't a good guy. But Jesus came in and transformed my life. Pastor Ketrick and I got together, and we prayed, and we began to talk. What would we say if we had our community together like this? What would we want to talk about? And we decided we want to talk about this one proof. Because if Jesus isn't alive, this whole thing's a joke anyway. So if he's alive, let's talk about lives that can be transformed. And so we're going to give you four lives in the Bible today that uh, Jesus, by the fact that he was alive, it transformed those lives. And we believe that they represent four different types of people that perhaps are here today or maybe listening to us online. So four different. So my first person I'm going to talk about, all of that was an introduction. That was awesome. Anyway, no, my first point will be quick, just another five minutes. My first point, the first person is a woman named Mary. Now, Jesus had, his mother's name was Mary, but this is a different Mary. She lived north of Jerusalem uh, to the west of the Sea of Galilee in a little city called Magdala. So we call her Mary Magdalene. And this woman suffered. Like her whole life, she she was basically an outcast, um, probably outcast by her family and her friends, this woman. The Bible tells us she suffered that she was possessed by seven demons. So whatever you think that means, I I believe that she was under a spiritual attack for most of her life. And because of this, she was, she suffered and she was an outcast. She meets Jesus, this guy, this teacher, this rabbi comes into her life. And the Bible says he delivered her. Like he literally stopped the spiritual attack, got rid of the enemy who was trying to destroy her. And he altered and changed her life in a radical way. And that's what Jesus does. And so she loved him. To say that Mary Magdalene loved Jesus is like a massive understatement. She totally loved him. As a matter of fact, I saw this. I'd never seen this before. She was the last one at the cross after they murdered him. And she's the first one at the tomb on on Easter Sunday. This lady loved Jesus. Why? Because he radically changed her life. God cannot radically change a life without that person being head over heels in love with them. I believe. So when you see Christians that are like, I'm like, what happened? Dude, you're alive. Did Jesus, is he alive? Did he, listen, she was radically altered, man. So her story is in John chapter 20. 
and I just want to read it to you, and then I'll, I'll give you the microphone, I promise. All right, no, I'm not going to take my time. I've got to go fast. Anyway, so she goes to the tomb on Easter morning. She's the first one there. She's busted. Her heart is broken. She loved this guy, and now he's dead. And it says here, but Mary stood outside the tomb crying. And as she was crying, she stooped to look into the tomb. She saw two angels in white sitting where Jesus' body had been lying. One at the head and the other at the feet. And they said to her, woman, why are you crying? Because they've taken away my Lord. I have the word my underlined in my Bible. I love that. He's my Lord. Not your Lord. He's mine. And they took him away. And I don't know where they put him. Well, having said this, she turned around and she saw Jesus standing there. But she didn't know it was Jesus. Probably because she's crying. Her eyes are full of tears or whatever. She's, she's standing there. And she's not expecting this dude to be alive. And so he says, woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you're seeking? Well, supposing he was the gardener, she replied, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you put him and I will take him away. In other words, literally, I will pick up his body. This lady is saying this. I'll put him back where he's supposed to be. I love that. And then Jesus said, Mary. Like maybe the way he said it or whatever. Mary. Turning around, she said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher or master. I love that. When you come to the realization that the one you love, who has altered your life, is alive, I believe the only response you got is master. It's not, well, this is very interesting. Let's talk about how this happened. No! It's like, master, whoa! You are awesome! You with me? I believe that's the true response of anybody that really gets it, that Jesus is alive. Amen? All right, here's the tag. I'm going to set my timer. Now, just to set the record straight, I did not call Michael last night or ask him, what are you going to wear today? I don't know. I'm going to wear it. I walked in, I pulled my jacket off, and I'm like, for real? (laughs) You just got to love it. You got to love, you got to love what God is doing in the atmosphere and what he's doing around here. You know, I believe, and one of my heart's desire for this day and this weekend is for us as a people, as a, as a Christian nation to go from theory, because a lot of times, we, we, you know, we could read about it, oh, and we'll debate this thing. We, 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 we end up to the theory of it or the history of it. And here's the reality. If, it's only, if the resurrection of Jesus Christ is only a theory or if I'm only basing it off history, then sooner or later it just become a fairy tale. Then I'll read it and I'll, put it, I'll connect him with the bunny rabbits and I'll connect him with all of the eggs and I'll connect him with everything else that really doesn't have a lot of power and strength behind it. But the reality of it, the relevancy of his resurrection is just as powerful today as it was over 2,000 years ago. Come on now. The power of his resurrection, the relevancy of it, is just as powerful today as it was over 2,000 years ago. And this is what Apostle Paul said. He said it like this. He said, I want to know him, but I just don't want to stop knowing him. He said, I want to know the power of his resurrection. I want to know the strength of this thing. 
I've heard about it, and I've, I've heard the rumor has it. I've heard about it, but I want to know the strength of it. And, and I was looking this thing up in Philippians chapter 3 and 10. It says this. Well, this is what he said, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. And I, and I think it's pretty interesting because when you look at that word power, it, it's, it's the word dunamis, which means moral power or excellency of soul. There's something in this resurrection that I can look at and say, you know what? I don't have to stay that same messed up guy. There's something about this season that gives me hope that said, Ketrick, yeah, you were a knucklehead. Some may still have that opinion. That's okay. That's okay. There's something about this time and recognize that, you know what? There is hope that I can step over the hurdles that has always held me back. But then he said another thing. He said that I may know the power of his resurrection. And, and I love this because it means the resurrection means the resurrection of one's history who was restored to life. In other words, we are celebrating a time here today that says that no matter what your history is, and you don't have to raise your hand. There may be some Marys in here. <laughs> there may be some Thomases in here. There may be a lot of people here who may have messed up along the way, but it doesn't matter my history. Because it's the power of his resurrection that restores it. Come on, that was a great amen part right there for some of us. Because see, some of us has walked down some lines, have not been pretty. The rest of you, I understand you've been great all your life. And hallelujah, write a book and let me read it. But for some of us who've messed up time and time and time again, God said, keep it today, your history can be restored. Man, I love a, I love a gospel say it doesn't matter where you come, I will go back and I will turn that thing. I will turn that thing and I will bring it back into your very presence and your walk will look different. Your talk will be different and everyone around you can benefit from the resurrection, the power of his resurrection. Now, there was this guy and we were talking about these different characters who, who experienced this thing, right? And there was this guy by the name of Peter. Anyone recognize that name? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he was awesome, right? Right, yeah. Yeah, he was the kind who would cut ears off and I think he was aiming for the head, but that's just, you know, I'm from Texas, so that doesn't matter. Um, but but, but he, was, he, was, he was an interesting character. But in Mark chapter 14 and verse 27, it says this, when Jesus got ready to go to the cross, and he's giving them the news. This is what's going to happen, guys. It's going to happen. And, and so he goes, then Jesus said to them all, of you may be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be made to scatter. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, even if I'm made to stumble, yet I will not be. And Jesus said to him, surely I say to you that today, even this night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he spoke even more vehemently. I have Excuse me. If I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said likewise. Now, here you have Peter. Jesus is letting them know I'm going to die. Here's the deal. They're, they're going to take me to the cross. You guys are going to be scattered. And Peter's like, yeah, not on my watch. Not on my watch. I'll die first before I allow you to go through that. Now, we understand you know, some of the things that Peter went through. And before we start you know, bashing Peter like, wow, man, he's just running off at the mouth. But he was passionate about the things and the people he loved. He's like a lot of us. He has great intentions. Man, I've had a lot of great intentions, said I would do this and do that, and just to watch them crumble and be dashed upon the rocks. He had a lot of great intentions. 
You know, Peter was this guy. I look at him. Peter's this guy. He, you know, when he's, he's sitting in class and he said, okay, when I grow up, when I grow up, I'm going to be this. When I grow up, I'm going to have a great career just to find himself on Skid Row. Not because maybe some, he made bad choices. Sometimes life happens. Peter, this guy, said, you know what? I'm going to get married. I'm going to treat her the best that I possibly can. And three marriages later, he's still trying to figure it out. He couldn't get it right. Peter is the guy who said, you know what? I'm going to have children, and I'm going to go to, I'm going to, go to little Johnny's game. I'm going to be there, and I'm going to let him know what a good father's like. I'm going to be there. And then all of a sudden, the stock market crashes, and he's working three jobs, and, and a fourth one he's planning on. He can't go to any of his games. And they sit around at night, and they say, well, Daddy, where were you when we were doing this? Well, Daddy had to work, honey. And he's broken. He's broken. And then we find next here in, in Matthew's, excuse me, in Matthew 26 and 75, it says, Then Peter remembered the words of Jesus who had said to him, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So he went out bitterly. He had all these great intentions. I'm not going to deny him. But when the moment came, his humanity stood in the way. His humanity rose up before his intentions. And he's like, I can't do this. I'm out of here. And he said he went out bitterly. He didn't just go out feeling bad. No, 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 no. This, bitterly, this bitterness, it was something strong. It gripped him. It means, it, it, check this out. I, I love this. It means great pain, anxiety of sorrow, acute physical or mental suffering. In other words, he was so broken. He was so messed up that it affected him mentally. He had to enter into the mental health program. It wasn't just, oh, I'm sorry I did this. No, no, no. This dude was broken. He, sometimes people can't get out of bed because of the things that they have done. They've wrestled with those things. And they can't fix them. Maybe the person that you wounded, maybe they're passed on. And they don't, you, you can't go back to them and say, I'm sorry. And it bothers you. It bothers you. It grips you. This is where this guy was. Even physically, even physically, my sorrows, the bitterness of my heart can grip me. And caused me not to live my life to the best of my ability. But then there was the resurrection. Man, check this out. I love this. I love this. I love this. Did you know sometimes my guilt will run me away from the things that I need most? My guilt and shame will cause me not to seek that which I need most. But here we have it in Mark chapter 16. This is so beautiful. After Jesus had been raised, they go to the tomb. Mary, she's there. She's at the tomb. She's working with him. And they're all, all excited. They're like, ah, they're freaking out. They're scared. And then this is what it said in, in, in Mark chapter 16. It says, but go tell his disciples. Speaking of Jesus, he said Jesus is going to go and go tell his disciples what's going to happen. But go and tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. As he said to you, here you have this guy was broken, shattered, mentally shattered, physically gripped. And on the resurrection day, Jesus, the angel that's there said, okay, Jesus is risen. He's going forth. He said, but this is what you do. You go let his disciples know what's happening. Oh, oh, oh yeah, by yes. By the way, P.S., 
dot, dot, dot. Tell Peter. You mean, you mean the one who denied you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, the one who denied you. See, I know oftentimes we look at, we look at um, that guy who betrayed Jesus with a kiss, Judas. He said, man, he was awful, but you know what? He betrayed him, but he didn't deny him. He betrayed him, yes, indeed, but he didn't pretend that he didn't exist. But Peter pretended that he didn't even exist. I don't know the man. I don't know the man. And those words gripped him so bad that when Jesus came forth, he said, you know what? I got to get a hold of this guy. I'm going to give him a second chance. See, some of us are looking for second chances. Maybe a fifth chance. <laughs> some of us are looking for a 20th chance. You know, I mean, let's just be real. I mean, we, we, we can be real here, right? We're people. Human beings, and we have been humans for a long time. And we need to know the power of his resurrection. That no matter where I've been, no matter my history, no matter my history, today is a day that history is being restored. Just like he restored Peter. Oh, yeah, and by the way, on the day of Pentecost, he got the baton and he preached the gospel. And thousands come to know this guy. Thousands come to know this guy. So as we continue today, as Michael continue to share these next points, remember today is a day that history is being rewritten. We don't have to go to bed saying it's going to be this way because it's always been that way. I can go to bed today and say, oh, it's a great day because he is risen. All right. So two types of lives that can be changed we got so far. Mary Magdalene, someone who was an outcast, who had under major spiritual attack, Jesus' resurrection and life changed her. And then we got Peter, who uh, messed up pretty royally. And uh, that represents a few of us in the room as well, uh, because God gave him a second chance. Amen. Third type of person I want to talk about today is someone who might be more represented, I don't know, uh, in our town for sure. And that is someone who... uh, has a lot of trouble believing this. Someone who's a doubter. And so we're going to talk about Thomas. And we actually call him Doubting Thomas. Like that's his nickname for all of eternity. Even, go, even though the dude like rocked it for the kingdom later on in life. He gets like in heaven. I'm going to see him. And I'm going to meet the guy. And I'm going to be like, oh, Doubting Thomas. He's going to be like, oh, come on. Like one time. Anyway, sorry. But there's a lot of people today <laughs> who who just doubt, you know, they, they have a hard time believing that some dude walked on water or that some guy multiplied food or that, uh, you know, definitely that someone rose from the dead. And maybe these are people that even grew up in the church and grew up believing this, but then they went off to college and were educated and became intellectual and, and very smart, and they just know more than those foolish Christians that believe all this weird fantasy mythological stuff. I have people like this in my family. Anybody else? Just me. All right. Okay. Right on. Let's go back to John chapter 20. And we're going to talk about Thomas for a second. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Here we go. He was one of the disciples. Um, After Jesus resurrected from the dead, uh, Jesus appeared to a lot of the disciples. And unfortunately, uh, 
out of all those guys, Thomas was not in the room when Jesus showed up the first time. And so it says, but Thomas called the twin. This is verse uh, 24 of John 20. One of the 12 was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples were telling him, we've seen the Lord. Like, this was awesome, man. He showed up. But he said to them, I love this. If I don't see the marks of the nails in his hands or put my finger in the mark of the nails and put my hand into his side. You guys know that when Jesus was hanging on the cross, the Roman centurion shoved a spear up into his side, right, to make sure he was dead. And so Thomas is saying, unless I can put my finger in the holes, which is kind of gruesome and gross, dude's kind of funky, and I'll put my hand in his side, you know, he says this, I will never believe. He's got 10 of his buddies in the room. He's got these ladies, everybody, we saw the Lord, we saw the Lord. Like, he's lived with these guys, trusted these guys. And he's like, what is wrong with you guys? Mass hallucination? Like, there's no way I'm ever going to, I will never believe. I have met people on the gondola that have said stuff like this to me. Oh, you're the, pa- oh, you're the new pastor? Oh. Oh, we know who you are. And they're basically, I will never believe. It's like, what if Jesus showed up on the gondola here? Like, what if he was right here? Would you believe then? Like, well, you have to prove it to me. Anyway, I'm sorry. I'm getting off here. I'll never believe. Verse 26, a week later, okay, a week later, his disciples were indoor again, and Thomas this time was with them. Even though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them, which, by the way, freaky. The doors are locked. Windows are locked. Jesus is all of a sudden, you know, transported from Star Trek Enterprise. He's there. And, uh, and, that, and so they're freaking. And the first thing Jesus says is, chill out. That's the NIV. No, I'm sorry. I'm just kidding. He says, peace be with you. Like, it's okay. Verse 27. Then he said to Thomas. So he shows up. All the guys are there. This time Thomas is there. And they're like, wow, he's here. And Jesus looks. First thing he says to Thomas. He says, Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Don't be faithless, but believe. Well, Thomas responded to him, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said, because you've seen me, you've believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Thomas represents a large group of people in 2019 who say, I will never believe. Because I went and some professor told me about whatever and he convinced me and I realized that I had this childlike faith that was basically a joke. But the resurrection is the thing that changed him. When he saw him, by the way, notice Jesus says, hey, Thomas, I heard what you said. Kind of weird, but go ahead and do it. Put your hands right here. And it never says Thomas did it. Thomas didn't say, oh yeah, okay, let me do that, Jesus. He didn't. It just said he looked at him and the first words out of his mouth, my Lord and my God. Sort of like Mary, the first word out of her mouth, master. Like that's it. That's the key here. When we realize Jesus is alive, all of a sudden, I'm not the boss anymore. By the way, this is my opinion. But I believe that most people reject Jesus Christ today because they want to be the boss. They want to be the master. They want to be the Lord. They want to be their own God. But Thomas believed because the resurrection and what happened. He now has the same hope that everybody else in the room has. This is the key. 
And this is why Paul says, if Christ isn't risen, then our faith, our proclamation is, is in vain. It's in vain. But he's alive, and he changes life, and he can change the skeptic. He can change the doubter. And maybe you're here today, and you're saying, well, uh, Michael, uh, listen, that's great. Uh, that's wonderful. But how can you believe that Jesus came back to life? Like, you weren't there. You're just like everybody else that says they have the truth. And you just believe something that you didn't even see. Like, how can you believe it? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. Because I'm going to give you three reasons very quickly of why I believe, why I'm standing up here, why I have pledged my allegiance to Jesus Christ. And I'm going to give you three reasons why. I could give you a lot more, but I don't have time. But the first reason is this. I believe that this whole thing is worth it. And today's the day that we're here celebrating not a fantasy, but the reality of Jesus being alive. I believe this, first of all, because it's what the Bible says. Of the stuff the Bible says. Now, I want you to notice, I'm not saying because the Bible tells me so. Because this is what people argue. They'll say, oh, you just believe the Bible, but I'm not really sure the Bible's accurate. Listen to me. I'm not saying I believe Jesus is alive because the Bible says that. I believe it because of the way the Bible says it, what the Bible says. Let me give you some examples. In that culture, women were completely looked down upon, literally had to walk behind men. I mean, you guys get it, right? In the stories of the Bible, again and again and again, we see women being like the heroes of the story, even in the story of Mary Magdalene. She's the first one at the tomb. Women are, are elevated in this, in, this, in this story. And what's amazing is that the men are not. As a matter of time, you, you read the stories of Jesus in, the, in the, the different gospels, and again and again and again, men come out looking pretty lame. And let me tell you something. In that culture, you go and read the books, Iliad, the Odyssey, different books in that time period, Men never made themselves look bad. And yet men were the ones propagating this story. And it's just one of the evidences for me that shows that this is authentic, that I can rely on this because if we were just making the story up, they would have changed it and made men look a lot better than they do. Does that make sense? That's just a little thing. Let me give you another one because I know you want more. Woo! Let me tell you, I believe not just because of what the Bible says, but because of what other historians throughout history have said. Now, first of all, let me tell you, we have over, archaeologists have dug up over 3,000 individual manuscripts and pieces of manuscripts from this Bible, and they all connect. They all make sense. 3,000 documents that are in the Word of God that we have here today. You say, okay, well, that's great. Well, that's a big deal. To have 3,000 people before they had printing presses, when people were copying. This is a big deal to have that evidence. But above and beyond the biblical evidence that we have, 3,000 documents, we have extra biblical evidence. And I'm going to read them to you. If you're bored by this kind of stuff, this will be the part that's boring. But let me tell you, these are just sources. I'm going to give you a few. There was a guy named Josephus. Josephus was a Jewish historian, not a believer. A Jewish historian who was born around A.D. 38, he writes in his history of the Jews of a man named Jesus who came up, had a huge following, was murdered, and came back to life with 500 witnesses, eyewitnesses. Josephus, not trying to propagate the message of Jesus at all, just reporting history. That's a big deal. Another guy, I can't name all the, I don't know how to pronounce these names, so forgive me, but I think his name is Plinius Secundus. He was the governor of Bithynia in Asia Minor. He writes about this Jesus from Nazareth who came back to life, not a Christian. 
Cornelius Tacitus, a senator under Emperor Vespasian, he later became the governor of Asia, totally writes in letters about this Jesus and the following that he had and how he was reported to have come back to life. Gaius Suetonius Tranquilius, chief secretary to Emperor Hadrian, he wrote about AD 120, writes of Jesus Christ coming back to life. A guy who was what we would call a comedian, he was a satirist, a satirist uh, at the time, uh, AD 170, named Lucian, writes about Jesus Christ. In the Talmud, which is not a biblical document, it's a collection of Jewish oral traditions that were put into writing uh, with additional commentary by rabbis, um, writes and talks about Jesus Christ. You say, what's the big deal? This is a big honking deal. That we have extra biblical people who are not propagating our message, but we're saying this guy lived and came back to life. Do you understand? I went to school and I was taught, like many of you, all this history. Like, for instance, George Washington crossed the Delaware. I was taught that and you were taught that. And we just take it like, yeah, George Washington crossed the Delaware. You know, we have like three written documents that George Washington was even on that river. Like he was there. But we believe it. 3,000 separate documents, plus all kinds of other extra-biblical stuff. I was reading this week when I was studying Napoleon being at Waterloo. Everybody believes that. We were taught that, and that's where they won, and the French and everything. Do you know the only scholar and historian that believes that, that Napoleon won at Waterloo was Napoleon? He wrote one letter that says we were successful. Other scholars now are like, dude, you lost everybody. Like, your whole army died. Like, you weren't successful. But I was taught in school. Napoleon at water. What? Here's my point. We believe all this garbage, and we don't never question it. It's history. But when you bring in Jesus and the fact that I'm saying here, why do I believe? If one of these evidences was, was it, that maybe be one thing. But there's more. The last evidence I'm going to give very quickly is this. It is how the eyewitnesses, those first eyewitnesses, lived their lives after they saw Jesus came back to life and how they each died. All of them radically lived radical lives. Let me just tell you very quickly. This is what history tells us. Matthew. You know how Matthew, after Jesus was resurrected, went out and, and brought the gospel around the world? He was killed by stabbing. They stabbed him to death as, as was ordered by the king, uh, King Hyrcanus. James, the son of Alphaeus, was crucified just like Jesus was. They're like, James, you want to talk and preach to people about Jesus dying on the cross? We're going to kill you on the cross. James, another James, the brother of Jesus, listen to this, was thrown down off of a roof. When he landed, they picked up rocks and stoned him, even though he was already dead. Then they picked up something called Fowler's Clubs, and they beat him to death. Like, they wanted that guy dead. Anyway. John, everybody knows John, right? The beloved disciple. They tried to kill him by boiling him alive in a big cauldron of oil. All his skin came off and he didn't die. So they exiled him to a little island called Patmos where he received the last book of the Bible as a revelation. Mark was burned at the stake uh, during Roman Emperor Trajan's reign. Peter, the one you just talked about, was crucified upside down by, uh, by the gardens of Nero, who was a whack job. Uh, and on the on Vatican Hill in AD 64, Andrew crucified on an X-shaped cross by Aegeus, governor of the Edessenes, around AD 80. Philip was stoned and then crucified. Simon crucified in Egypt under under Trajan's reign. Thaddeus was killed by arrows. James, the son of Zebedee, listen to this, 
James was killed by a sword in AD 44, and Bartholomew, Bar- Bartholomew, uh, thank you, not mule, was beaten. They took knives and skinned all his skin off of him. They filleted him. Then they crucified him upside down, and then they beheaded him. Like they wanted that guy dead. And what about doubting Thomas? Doubting Thomas. Doubting Thomas goes to India, Kalamina, India. He's telling people about the gospel, and natives came out and thrust a spear through him and killed him. These are how these guys died. And you say, well, what's the big deal? It's a big deal. Like if Keetrick and I got together and we're making up a story. Let's tell everybody this. It'll be great. And we're going we're gonna to make up this big story. And all, look, people think this is what happened. They think the disciples got together, they stole the body, and they made up the story. And I'm here to tell you that if that were the case, if this was a makeup thing, then they, at least one of them, Mark, as he's being burned at the stake, would have said, time out. We were kidding. We made it up, dude. And maybe you say, well, Michael, hold on. You know, lots of people die for what they believe in. Like, what about those guys in 2001 that flew the airplanes into the Twin Towers? I mean, those are the guys that put bombs around themselves and go in. They die for their faith all the time. Big difference between those guys and these guys. All of those people died for something that somebody told them, and they believed it. These guys died for something they were eyewitnesses of. And you mean to tell me, this is the greatest proof I have for me personally, why I gave my life to Jesus. People say, well, I don't know how you can believe some guy came back to life. I believe it because you have to objectively look at the evidence. Forget faith for a minute and just objectively look at the evidence. This guy came to life, and if he came to life, then maybe the things that he said were true. Listen, lots of people today, lots of people follow a belief system. Do you know that on the planet right now, we have 488 million Buddhists? 488 million Buddhists, people that follow uh, uh, Buddha. I was reading this in 2016 in, in a Chinese article, and I don't have time to read it to you, but I actually have the quote here. They found an alabaster box labeled the cremated remains of Buddha in 2016. We have that. People can visit Buddha's remains. Buddha might have been a great guy, needed the diet, but a great guy. But you know what the difference is? The difference is Buddha's dead, and I can go see his ashes literally today. There's 488 million Buddhists. There's 1.8 billion people that follow the the religion of Islam today on our planet. 1.8 billion. And these people follow, their, their main prophet is a guy named Muhammad who died in 632 AD when he was 62 years old on June 8th. Literally, we know exactly the day he died. Do you know that millions of people every single year visit Mecca? They visit his tomb to visit this guy. They listen to Muhammad. They believe he's the one true prophet. He's dead. Like there's a difference between our God who is alive. Listen, you go to, um, there's 900 million uh, Hindus today on the world. They don't have one big leader. They're sort of a hodgepodge of Buddhism and different things. But one of the most recent great leaders was Mahatma Gandhi. Great man, peaceful man, did incredible things while he was alive. Died. Jesus Christ is alive, and his resurrection should change the skeptic. If you are represented in this crowd today, you say, well, that's great that you guys have your little belief or whatever, but I'm just not convinced. Jesus said, you'll never be a part of this thing unless you come as a child with childlike faith. The lives that have been altered and changed, even if you're a skeptic, God can do that. Amen? 
All right, I'm done, brother. You know, during this time that Michael was talking about and all these things that were going on, there was a lot of disappointments. There was a lot of doubt and unbelief. Even when they got to the tomb and they got the word back to the, the guys, the men folk, they didn't believe. The women believed, but the guys didn't. So there was a lot of disappointment. I mean, it started, okay, first of all, this Jesus guy, he's going to be our savior, right? He's going he's to deliver Israel from the tyranny of this system. And he died at that moment. So they thought. Disappointment. They get to the tomb. We're going to perform these rituals. We're going to anoint his body. We're going to put the oil. And we're going to put all this stuff on him to, to preserve the body. And they get there and it, it's gone. Another disappointment. They take the word back after they saw the angel telling them about his resurrection and that he's alive. They go back to the guys that were sitting in a room and they were mourning. They get there and they didn't believe them. The scripture said that they looked at those ladies and they said, well, it was kind of like old fables. They didn't believe what they were telling them. The scripture tell us that hope deferred makes the heart sick. When something has been prolonged for so long, when I've been disappointed time and time and time again, it can start messing with my heart. It can start messing with my mind. It's kind of like, you know what, I've tried that love thing once. And he turned out to be a knucklehead. Don't play with me. I'm not doing that anymore. I've tried that career path once and it turned out to be about I'm not doing that. Sometimes some of us, when we've been disappointed time and time and time again, we don't want to give our heart to anything else with the possibilities of disappointment. And so here you have this situation where these guys have been disappointed time and time and time again. And we find two guys after the word had gotten back to the disciples that he was alive. Really, really, guys, the ladies brought it back. He, he's alive. And they were like, ah, it's just fable. And so they're like, let's go for a walk. I hear what you're saying, but I'm not willing to give myself to this. You know, some, some of us may have been there. Some, some of us may have been to that place where we've been hurt. We've been wounded. We've trusted man and man did man things. We trusted people and they just couldn't help themselves. They acted like people. My pastor would tell me this back in Texas. He said, Ketrick, where you have sheep, you have sheep poop. That's just the way it is. <laughs> And so you learn to sh shovel sheep poop very well if you're going to make it through this life. But time and time again, disappointment comes and we become broken. We become disappointed. And we just say, you know what? I'm not going to trust. I'm not going to lend my heart to hope and to trust again. And so you have these two guys here. They were on this trip and after Jesus had resurrected. And they didn't believe. And it says they were walking on the road to Emmaus in verse 24 as they're walking and having these conversations chapter 24 starting at verse 21 they're having this conversation of the things that had happened and and all of a sudden jesus shows up with them on the road how y'all doing what you talking about what have you been on a rock are you the only guy around here don't know what happened back there this jesus guy jesus guy of nazareth he, he, he you know they they killed him what but this is what they said that stood out to me they go here in verse 21 it says but we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. They had a hope 
that things were going to change. They had a hope that things were going to be different, but they were disappointed again. And then it goes on to read and says, Indeed, besides all of this, today is the third day since these things happened. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us when they did not find his body. They came saying that they had also seen a vision of an angel who said he is alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But him they did not see. Then he said to them, O foolish ones, how slow of heart to believe all the things that the prophets had spoken. So it's like, really? I told you this before I left. Proof has it. The ladies have come back and told you that it has happened. Oh, yeah, and by the way, prophets said it before they even said it that it was going to happen. And you still having problems believing this. See, hope deferred means that I stop hoping. I stop wanting to believe that something good can happen. You know, I've been in this system for a long time. And I just don't want to mess things up and try to do better and be disappointed again. But this is where you have these guys. But then they walked on down in verse 28 of this particular scripture, this particular passage. It says. Then they drew near to the village where they were going and he indicated, speaking of Jesus, he indicated that he would have gone further. But they constrained him saying, abide with us, for it is towards evening and the day is far spent. And he went and stayed with them. Now it came to pass as he sat at the table with them that he broke bread, blessed and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they knew him and he vanished from before their sights. And they said to one another, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scripture to us? Here you have it. These guys who have been through disappointment after disappointment, brokenness after brokenness, people bringing word that all their worst fears has can end right now. There's hope to be had. And they were like, I'm not going there. I'm not going there. You, you will not trick me into believing this again. You will not trick me into having hope again. So we're going on a walk. We're going on a walk. I love it because they were going to Emmaus, which means warm bath. When I think of a warm bath, it's like after a hard day of work, being a pastor. When I think of a hard day's work, you know, a warm bath is like, oh, I'm going to go there and relax. I'm just going to let the warm water wash my cares away. So they're leaving this place of disappointment. So you know what? I'm not dealing with this. I'm just going to go to my back to my, the things that makes me most comfortable. I'm going back to those things that make me most comfortable. Well, I don't have to believe this nonsense. I could get it out of my system. And tomorrow is a new day. But they met Jesus on the road. And I love it because Jesus pretended that he was going to keep going. He was going to just keep on down the road. And, they, and the Bible said they constrained him. I love it because it means it was kind of like with violence. It was kind of like, No! You're, you're not going, no, no, it's dark. You, you're going to stay here with me because you said something is touching my heart. My heart burned when you talked to me. Michael, 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 stay right here. You don't need to go on. I mean, they would not let the man leave because he said something and he touched their heart in a way that they began to have hope. I mean, it's kind of like the, you ever see uh, 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 the Grinch who stole Christmas? 
you know, and, and all of a sudden, he looked down upon the Whoville, and they were singing, even though they didn't have a tree and they didn't have presents, all they had was joy and hope and belief that something good is going to happen. Something started tickling, and their hearts began to grow. Three, and this is what happens. All you need is just a little hope. Because sometimes we close off because we are tired of hoping. Sometimes we close off because hope is too painful. If I hope it's something, that means I'm going to have to, at some level, give my heart to it. And if I give my heart to it, that means that someone has the potential of breaking it. And I'm not willing for my heart to be broken by anyone, anything, at any time again. But Jesus come along and said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to fix this thing. I'm going to give you something. They'll give you a glimmer of hope. And he said, our hearts burned. And they would not let him leave. Real quick, one thing that we could take back with us from today. One of the things that opened their eyes to hope again is that they invited Jesus into their house. They invited Jesus into their life. They opened the door and said, you've said something to me. You've touched me in a way that I'm not willing to allow you to go. Abide. Stay here. Come and live. And here's the deal. If I am struggling with hope, if I am struggling with deception, if I am struggling with disappointments and afraid to love again, can we just go there? Because some of us, man, we, we just don't want to love again because it's too painful. I don't want to love anyone again because it's too painful. If I'm struggling in that area, one of the things that fixed it is, okay, Jesus, I invite you into my house. I want to sit down with you, and I want to hear your words. This is what he did for these guys on the road to Emmaus. And they struggled with belief. And they struggled with disappointment. He said something to them, said, you know what, come in. And it goes something like this. What must I do to be saved? What can I do to change my heart? See, maybe, maybe, maybe you're sitting out there and you fit that category of Mary. You know, Mary is pretty messed up. You know, I like those stories. I really do. I like those broken stories. I like the Marys. Because when I look in the eyes of a Mary and see the redemption of Christ, man, you're looking at a person that would give everything just to be with this guy. Or maybe you fit in that category with Peter, where, where Peter's like, you know what? I've messed up so bad that nobody on this earth would ever want anything to do with me. Maybe we've been there and I want to go hide out in some little some little box canyon town that nobody can find me. Even a GPS will send you over dangerous mountains to try to find me. But I can hide there. Come on, I can hide there. Maybe if I'm a Peter, I can hide really well and I go out and and I can and somehow I'll drink my sorrows and bitterness away. Maybe, maybe that's me. Maybe that's the category I fit in. Or maybe I'm Thomas. Maybe you know what? I've read enough, I've educated myself enough, and I just can't believe that nonsense. You must be out of your mind. Or maybe I find myself in the category of these guys on the road to Emmaus. I'm not willing to risk my heart anymore. I've let people in and they broke it. I let belief in and it broke it. But when I let Jesus in my heart, for reals, 
Not just religious things. Come on. If we, if we could do anything, can we shuck religion? Religion will tell you what you can't do. Religion will point you to a dead-end street and tell you this is what your destiny is. But I'm telling you, Christ will come to that dead-end street, and he will bust that thing open and say, there's your destiny. It's on the other side of goodness. It's on the other side of love. You don't have to rest and sleep with failure. You don't have to rest, and you don't have to sleep with disappointments. You don't have to rest and sleep with messing up and disappointing your daddy and disappointing your mama. Today, the power of his resurrection said, I will restore your your history, your history is restored when we invite him into our house, when we invite him into our heart. My eyes, your eyes, our eyes will be open to the one true God who's come to set the captive free. So I just want to say this this morning. If, if you're here and you say, you know what, I just, I don't know. I don't even know how this thing works. <laughs> Join the rest of us, you know, like I said, it's a faith thing. You say, you know what, I, I'm in that category of marrying, and I just want someone to believe in me and, and give me an opportunity to have hope. If you want prayer in that area, we're here. We want to pray for you. We want to walk you through this thing. We want to walk with you through this thing. Maybe you're there with Peter, and you said, you know what, I've, I've messed up royally. I can't go back to the people that I hurt. I can't go back to the people that I've wounded. But I need to get rid of this stuff the dead, the hurt. We want to pray for you. Okay. We want to pray for you. Maybe you're here and say, you, and you're doubting and, and you and Thomas kind of have this eye to eye relationship. Because like, yeah, I see what you were saying. Yeah, that was nonsense. I can't believe that. But you say, you know what? I want to believe. I just want an opportunity. I just want an opportunity. But I can say one thing about walking with Jesus. It's not like going to a shoe store. I can't treat it like you're going to a shoe store. Going to a shoe store, I try on shoes. If it don't fit, I take it off and I go somewhere else. If I don't like your Nikes, I get my Chuck Taylors. You can't try it. Let's do it. Let's buy them. Let's buy in. Because the evidence shows that he has risen. Man couldn't discount it. If they could, they would have. Maybe you like the guys on the road to Emmaus and say, you know what? I've been disappointed. I've been hurt. I've been wounded. And I just need someone to pray with me to help me get over this hump. We're here for you. We want to pray for you. Because let me tell you, you can walk out of here today and you will see color for the first time. You can see life. You can smell things that you've never smelled before for the first time. You can stop smelling through the through the hurt and the blood. I was at Clark's yesterday and this lady get out of the car. I don't know who she is. She got, she said, I smell lavender. And do you smell it? I'm like, and I'm stepping, I'm like, no, that's weird. I do too. But it's something about the peace that comes when Jesus has set my atmosphere straight. Your senses will line up with heaven. So if you would stand to your feet for a moment, and if you're here this morning, you, and maybe you find yourself and you can identify with some of those categories. I'm not going to talk you to any, into anything because if, not, if we can talk you into it, someone else can talk you out of it. What we need is an experience. What we need is a road to admit experience. What we need is an opportunity to see him for ourselves. And you say, well, you know what? I would like prayer in that area. That would be me. That's no big deal. We want to pray for you. So as Sean is... It's playing, and as we're getting ready to uh, go and dismiss, 
if you're here and you want prayer, would you just raise your hand for a moment? Say, I would like, maybe, maybe you identify with Mary. I don't know. It's okay. This is a safe place. This is a safe place. We don't have to pretend. We don't have to pretend. We don't have to be that guy that had all these high expectations and failed and it's going to leave. No, 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 no. If you're here and you say, you know what, I want to pray, just slip up your hand. I want to pray for you. I'm one in the back right there. Well, maybe you was that person who's like Peter, you know, you messed up. And you said, I, I can't, <laughs> I've messed up so bad, I can't take it anymore, man. I am, I can't sleep at night thinking about the things that have occurred in my life. Maybe that's you. If that's you, would you raise your hand if you want prayer in that area? No? Maybe you sit there with Thomas and you just say, I just want to, I just need help to believe. I just need to want to believe in something. This guy named Jesus, I hear he's pretty awesome. Amen. Let's just bow our hearts. We're going to go out of this place with some prayer this morning. If you were someone that raised your hand, I'm just going to invite you to come up here right now. We'd love to pray with you. And I'm going to close everybody in prayer while you come forward. And Pastor Keetrick, you can pray with them. We also have some Bibles here. If you do not have a Bible, man, we're giving them away. They cost us $150 a piece, so that's, that's a joke. They didn't cost that much, but we want you to have one. They're, they're priceless to us, and uh, get into God's Word and, and come to church. But let's just close our hearts in prayer. If you raise your hand, come forward now. We'd love to pray with you. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for Easter. We thank you for Resurrection Sunday. I thank you, God, for your Word. Lord, I thank you.